You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello and welcome to the Today's Conveyancer podcast. This week I'm joined by Managing Director of the Partnership, Peter Ambrose, uh, Peter is well known in the conveyancing sector, outspoken, I think we can probably say that, and he's here today to talk about technology in conveyancing. Welcome along, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. Delighted to uh, to be here. I'm going to ask my first question. You're a non-lawyer leading a law firm. Why? Oh. You know, I ask myself that every single day of the week. Why on earth would I want a law firm? The simple answer is it seemed a good idea at the time. I spent years and years and years in the technology business. I spent about 16 years um, on the software side of things. And everybody looks at technology and says, well, that's amazing. It's fast moving. It's exciting. It's actually a bit of a drag. You spend months and months talking to potential clients about software that probably won't work, they'll always be disappointed. And you spend the rest of the time after the sale trying to justify why they bought it in the first place. And having done that for years and years, I decided enough was enough. And I looked around and I thought, I need a change. I need to run my own business. I want to do things the way I like things to be done. Having spent a lot of time in the States, I got a good idea around service delivery. I liked the American service delivery model. And I looked at law and realized that most people really don't like dealing with lawyers. And that sounded to me like an opportunity. I wanted to create a company whereby we would do things differently, but genuinely so. We would lead with technology. We would lead with service because I genuinely wanted to help people when they're moving house. Most people, when you speak to them about their house moving experience, is dreadful. And mainly that is to do with how expectations are met or missed, but also the general ethos of law firms and how they interact with clients. And I thought, you know what, I want to do something that was genuinely good. It wasn't about making money. It was about doing something where you could genuinely bring good service to consumers because I felt they were being shortchanged. And that was the plan. Obviously, being a non-lawyer, this was back in 2007. That was a bit tricky because you had to be a lawyer to run a law firm. So my plan was was to go via the uh, another route. I needed a route to market. I wanted to work with agents. So I started off doing home information packs. I saw that as a way to gain credibility. So we set up a company in 2007 when they started, did very well with that. We were providing the same sort of ethos, same service level as we wanted to do when we grew it into a law firm. And then in 2009, we signed up to be a uh, for our license. And I found a little bit of a loophole in that my father-in-law was a solicitor. And I found out that he could then cross-train to be a licensed conveyancer. And that's how I got my license. So for those aficionados out there, 2009 was obviously pre-legal services act. So we found a way around that and set up the company. And then I started hiring my own solicitors. And that's what we've done from 2009. We were one of the first ABSs, um, which was, again, we had to re-accredit, which was really annoying, having gone through it all once with the CLC. We did it all again um, to become the first, one of the first ABSs. 
And that's what we've done. And we've stuck to our ethos of service is everything. But you, the, the way to give good service is to use technology. And that's a very long-winded way of explaining how I got to running a company of nearly 100 people, um, you know, doing about 5,000 transactions a year. You've talked extensively, you write extensively about the way in which you guys have adopted technology. Talk us through some of the innovations that you've introduced into the partnership and then how they've sort of impacted you. I think the big advantage that we had is we started off being paperless. The, 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 the number one thing that I knew was that we had to capture data in a way that it would be usable. And the only way to do that, and, and make no mistake about it, the only way to do that is to be paperless. Anyone who thinks that they can use data that's stuck in a file somewhere is kidding themselves. And I knew that. So from the outset, we knew we had to push information out to clients, push information out to agents. And that started with the minute that the paperwork came through the door. So the first thing we did, uh, first bit of software we, we bought was Sage because we knew we had to get the finances sorted. So we bought Sage for the, uh, for the software, uh, for the accounting side of things, and we bought a couple of scanners. So that's what we did. So that was the, the starting point. What we then did was we then built a system and we built it ourselves. Um, in fact, I built it myself um, because, you know, it was a startup. We were bootstrapped and that's what we did. And we knew that we had to provide a, a differential uh, using that software. So, for example, one of the things that we introduced from day one was the weekly case review. We've always done that. Uh, and the reason why we did that was because one of our biggest early uh, referrers was Foxton's, the estate agent. And the one thing that they did was every Tuesday they would review every case. So we said, OK, we need to do that. And so we built the technology to enable this to be done. People like to do these, but you need technology to back it up. I have some people who leave my company and they say, oh, we're going to do we're going to do the weekly updates because we know how important it is um, without technology. You can't do it. It's just not practical. So we built an engine for that whereby people could bring up all the case details and they could batch up all of their weekly updates and send it all in one go. So that was a major innovation. And that was one of our earliest and our most simple solutions. Didn't take as long to build it, but that was a huge that was a game changer, that one for that. And then what we've done from that point on is that we have basically added around our case management the ability to see what's going on. And that was key. So, for example, checklists. First thing we built um, after when we built the system was uh, obviously it was all the contact information, but electronic checklists. We're still shocked by the number of lawyers that we hire who come from places with no checklists at all. And we know that convincing is run by that. So we have an electronic checklist. The key to that is that it has to adapt to the changing nature of the case. So we've got some unique technology there where if something changes on the case, then the, tech, the checklist change as well. So dynamic checklists are, are unheard of in this industry. You sometimes get um, transaction-specific checklists, whereby this is leasehold, this is a purchase, therefore this is a particular thing. That's easy. Anyone could do that. What's not easy is what happens if something changes within the case. That's what does happen. And so what we do is we um, we built this query engine, which was really clever, surprisingly clever, actually. Um, I had nothing to do with that other than came up with the idea. This is a um, you know, this is a solution that we need to build. Um, 
And so we, we built that. So dynamic querying, unheard of with that. We then uh, needed to share this information with everybody. So we built a portal. We had a couple of frauds. We're very open about fraud. People don't talk about fraud, okay? And they should. And it's highly, highly irresponsible not to talk about fraud, actually. Oh, it doesn't happen. If we don't talk about it, it doesn't happen. It does happen. And it happens mostly through email. So one thing we did six years ago now, we built a portal. And we now use that portal as the main conduit to uh, communicating with everybody, agents, brokers, clients. So we don't use uh, don't use email. And that is an absolutely vital part of what we do because we can put everything on that. So, for example, our latest innovation, which is our inquiry explorer, um, we need we always um, had our inquiries uh, electronically. Again, something else that no one else does. And then the plan was always that we needed to share this with our clients. And so we've done that. We did that last year. We now share it with agents as well. Again, this sort of stuff cannot be done unless you're completely electronic. And when you can push this information out, that's how you maintain service levels. But this is just about communication. The future is how we, is what we're looking at, uh, which is around analytics. And that's where it starts getting really difficult. So the stuff that we've done today, you know, whether it's our dynamic uh, case allocation, we can see who's busy because we know how advanced they are in the checklist. So we can work out who we should allocate the work to so we don't get too busy. That stuff's quite easy. Yeah. Even though no one else is doing it, that's the easy bit. We're now moving into the tricky bit. But um, certainly from a technology point of view, having all the data on the desktop for the for the lawyers they're still making their own decisions. It's not workflow. We hate workflow, um, but it does give them the data to be able to use their intelligence. And what? And you you may you may not want to share this, Peter. I don't know. Um, what kind of impact has that had on you know average onboarding times, transaction times, post completion, and and you know particularly staff caseload. I, I'm, I'm more than happy to share any information. I've got no secrets here. OK, people. The only reason I believe people have secrets is because they're a little bit ashamed. OK, I'm not ashamed at all. We changed onboarding. We learned a lesson. We're not perfect by any stretch. We learned our lessons about onboarding because everything was done electronically through the portal. But we had to get people to sign documents. And what we didn't realize was that people didn't have printers because we would get these documents back. It would take on average about, it was our average onboarding is not as, it was not as quick as I'd liked it to be in 16 days. Um, you know, two weeks to onboard someone is ridiculous. Um, and we're all electronic, you know, it's like, but that was mainly because the clients were slow and the agents and all this stuff. When we switched to having fillable forms last year, we reduced that to six days, which is fantastic. Now, obviously, and that's on average, okay? Now we on, we've onboarded this month, we've onboarded over 500 um, cases. So that's that's about uh, 800 clients. OK, um, a lot of those done the same day. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yes, you can do it instantly and so forth. But it made a huge difference. We were quite surprised. So now six days on average to onboard someone. And that's everything. Money on account, ID, anti-money laundering checks, everything. Protocol forms done, so forth. In terms of transaction times, all I can say is, is that compared to the market, which we're hearing various different stories about average number of weeks and so forth, we're coming in at the moment and it's slow. We're coming in at about 14 weeks. It was about 12 before. Uh, we were always about 11 and a half, 12, but it's got slow for a number of reasons that we've, we're getting quite frustrated with. Um, but it definitely speed things up. In terms of caseloads, that is the golden number. And I get really annoyed. I interviewed someone the other day from a um, from a big firm and he was supporting over 300 uh, cases. 
Yeah, ridiculous. Okay, and any law firm owner that thinks it's acceptable to have that sort of number needs to go and have a long arm look in the mirror. We split the work between our lawyers and our legal assistants one to one. Okay, both full time, and they're working on, on average at the moment, about 63, 64 cases between two people. Okay, that works. We believe that is the right sort of number between two people. I read online people running, and I interview loads of people running 100 cases by themselves. No, that, that's why it's slow. The way you get speed uh, and the way you get efficiency is by reducing the number of cases. Yeah, of course, you can only do that if you charge the right fees. Yeah, the only way you can charge the right fees is if you give this good service level. The only way you can give the good service level is by having the right number of cases. And that is the virtuous circle that so many law firm owners just don't have a clue how to deal with. You know, we, the fashion of, oh, we must keep our fees high. Well, sure, if you can justify it. But if you can't justify it, you can't keep your fees high. So you've got to take that initial leap of faith, which we did 10 years ago, which was we will give good service levels by keeping caseloads low. And you need to fund that until you can get your fees to where they need to be. Unfortunately, that is beyond the wit of most by the looks of it. We said you might be outspoken, <laughs> but it's true. You've got to you've got to take that leap of faith, and people don't, and it's very frustrating. Um, service first is is as you said. I mean, it's very American, but it it seems to be sort of permeating the UK legal industry slowly. Uh, but it's it's so so important, like you say. You know, service first, uh, and the fees will follow. You've you've written extensively. Uh, as I say, you know, you've written for, for today's conveyancer uh, and, and we also see you pop up in property industry eye and, and, and elsewhere and recently advocated a single platform adoption across conveyancing. And it's fair to say with a mixed response. Is this the answer, a single platform? It is. Um, the challenge with it is that's quite tricky. But I've realized something really, really important. And it's to do with the unique nature of the conveyancing business, which is we have to work with our competitors. We have to. And no one seems to realize that. Because what they're doing, when you look at the software providers, they sit there and they say, and I sold software for 15 years, so I have... I, I know how to sell software. I wasn't very good at it, but I do know how to sell it. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to promote a solution that people will then adopt. The problem is, is that that's great in theory. And there's a few platforms out there where what they're doing is they're trying to get people to adopt these. OK, um, that's not going to work. You know, we've seen this for years now. You know, I mean, Goodness me, if you look at like the law society with Veo, you think to yourself, well, if the law society can't make it work, then it's impossible. And that's you hear this a lot. We've seen this before. But what people have to realize is that it's going to take someone saying this is a platform and you must use it. Yeah. And without giving too much away, if you think about it logically, if a company says we're using this platform and in order to work with us, you need to use it as well. Otherwise, we can't work with you. You're starting to see a little bit of where I'm coming from. And the, the challenge is you've got to make the platform 
not all encompassing. It's got to be a point solution. You've got to solve little bits of the problem in, in parts. And you've got to make it whereby there is no compelling reason for someone to say no. Because what you do is you will get owners of law firms, and typically they're the bleatiest, who's saying, well, we're not going to adopt it. We've got our own way of doing things. And mostly their way of doing things has not changed for 20 years. So there is an argument that says, well, it's not broken. Therefore, I'm not going to fix it because I look at my risk profile and so forth. That's a specious argument because that just that's an argument for no change. Now, if everything was working brilliantly, then fine. Absolutely. If there were no claims, if there were no mistakes, if there were no delays, then absolutely carry on. Knock yourselves out with your paper files. OK. However, we all know that it isn't working well. And therefore, if you are there going to honestly say to consumers, to agents, to brokers, yes, there is this technology out there, um, but we don't want to use it. And we're being told we should use it, but we don't want to. That's not going to go down terribly well. OK, so all it's going to take is it's going to take someone to say to make the first move. And that someone's got to have enough leverage in the nicest possible way. And that's what it's going to come down to is who has leverage. And and it's a leap of faith. And and this is a conversation that I've had on this podcast and elsewhere as well, which is, you know, is this a, an organisation that comes in that, that's privately owned? Is it publicly owned? Is it government owned? Is it government mandated? The, the, the difficulty, as you say, is there's a there's a first move here. But who is responsible for taking that first move? Well, look at Australia. OK, if you look at Australia eight years ago and look at the way they used to do settlements, I mean, there's no coincidence that Home Information Pack started in Australia. Right. Um, look at how they do settlements over there. I'm sure every, most of your listeners should be aware of this company. If they're not, then they need to Google it and get on board. A company called PEXA. OK, um, they revolutionized. And I mean, they revolutionized the settlement process in Australia. So much so that now, and then, as I say, I'm not being paid by them, whatever, but I recognize where, there, where there's game-changing technology coming through and how it's ran through in the nicest possible way. 97% of all settlements in Australia are now done through PEXA. What does that mean? It means the lawyers no longer have to handle client money. Well, happy days, okay? That has to happen. That's an example of something where it has to happen. Why is our PI so high? Because of fraud, because of our, our, our reliance on client money. So it doesn't really matter. Now, that was mandated from the government. So the government did get behind it. So they got a bit of a lucky break in the nicest possible way. But that's a private company. And hey, they're here now. Yeah, they've got their remortgage product that's going live later this year. As I say, I am not paid by them. They are a private company that's coming over here and saying, this is what we need to do. And this is what you should do. So I don't think we should be looking to government. You get too many people sitting there going, oh, government should do this. Government should do that. I'm not a big fan. Um, private. It will be private companies. And what it will be, it will be the companies that come up with the simplest point solutions. And what they need to do is they need to plug into an infrastructure. You have got you've got, for example, Kajut. Love those guys. Yeah, love what they're doing. Um, they've got a massive challenge ahead of them. And, I, and, I, and they know that. Yeah. And the massive challenge is not the work they've done so far, which is working with agents and so forth. It's working out how on earth they're going to get the data into their platform from the lawyers. 
and my idea is is that um, you need to find a way to get lawyers to put data into a platform because it's something that they don't particularly want to do it's extra work it's time consuming and it's difficult but what you have to do is you have to say right let's use whatever infrastructure is available and have point solutions and i keep talking about point solutions you cannot have a big bang okay one job i really wouldn't want right now is a case management vendor I wouldn't want to sell case management to lawyers for all the tea in China. Okay, um, why? Because it's a massive upheaval. I was talking with one company, big firm that uh, most of your listeners uh, will, will know about. Um, took them 18 months to implement a case management system. Yeah, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable by any stretch of the imagination to to to, to have a project that would take that long for something so fast moving um, as, as, as what we're doing here. So what we need to do is we need to look at who are providing the individual solutions. You can look at our friends at Lawyer Checker, okay? Point solution, everybody uses Lawyer Checker, right? I mean, well, we use it. I mean, you know, it's like, it's just, why do you use it? Well, it solves a simple problem. But all you do is you have to solve individual simple problems to give real benefit to lawyers. And don't say, hey, you need to completely change your whole way of working, because that's not gonna work. It's not going to work. If I said to, you know, and it's, and it's arrogant beyond extreme, we've had people come to us, oh, you should use our case management system. It will revolutionize your business. It, it won't. OK, if you want to talk with our systems to it, then great. But you cannot honestly say to an owner of a law firm, yeah, all you've got to do is just rip out everything that you're doing at the moment and replace it with technology. It, it's not going to work. It's not practical and it's not realistic. So all those people that have a go at me when I start saying technology is the future, you're looking at it the wrong way. What we're not saying is rip everything out and put in tech to replace everything that you do. That can't work. But what we are saying is have a long, hard look at what you're doing and where you're using technology and where you're not using technology. Because let's face it, where people are using technology today, it's mostly a bit of mail merge. Who are we kidding here? Yeah. Oh, look, I can produce template letters. Yeah, well done. Okay. How do I know this? I employ nearly 100 people, all of whom, have, or the vast majority, have come from other law firms. And what's my first question to them is, how do you do stuff? How do you manage tasks? How do you manage inquiries? How do you, do, how do you create your reports? What standard templates do you use? What pre- what's your precedent bank like? Okay, I'll give you a clue. But all those questions, the answer is, nah, not much. They really don't. And so therefore, I look at it and I say, well, we need to solve the individual problems. And those individual problems then need to plug into a platform of sorts. Who owns that? Eh, It's not that important. You get people saying, oh, suppose it goes wrong. Well, supposing, I don't know, Amazon Web Services falls over. Yeah. You know, you can find problems everywhere you look. Supposing we can't get electricity through the wires. You cannot go into this going, what happens if it goes wrong? Now, there is an element of responsibility to say, well, OK, are we going to hold stuff in escrow just in case the supplier goes bust? It's relatively rare. And I'm trying to think of an instance in the past where a legal supplier or any software supplier has gone bust, leaving everyone in the lurch. It's quite unusual because no normally picks it up. So this responsibility, this ownership issue, I don't think it's as big as people think it is. In much the same way that people use Office 365. Supposing Microsoft goes bust, it probably won't. <laughs> but if it did, I'm sure someone would buy it. 
it's that universality, isn't it? And I think you hit the nail on the head when you say that there's concern that sharing information with our competitors is going to damage us. Um, and and it, it has to be, I mean, you know, there's, there's another podcast that we've run uh, where we, we discussed the um, constant battle between estate agents and conveyances. And again, it's there's not a helpful situation. You know, we it, it, we have to work collaboratively to make this to make this a better process. We, I think where, where people get it, where people misunderstand what the benefits of technology will bring is when they talk about transparency and this is just because people in the nicest possible way don't think things through you can share information sharing information is fine and if i get anything across to your listeners it's very much like sharing really is caring um because you can't say Oh, but if I tell you that you're going to misinterpret it and you're going to upset the client or you're going to break something or you're going to you're going to misuse this information. Okay? You cannot do things that way. Do we have examples where we provide information to agents who misinterpret it and upset our clients? Absolutely, we do. Absolutely, we do. Does that mean we should stop doing it? Absolutely not. Because what you have to do is you have to accept that you are, there are going to be times where things will go wrong. And when you share information with our competitors, so for example, we always share our inquiries with everybody. What do I care? We've got authority from the client to do it. The agents can say they're not particularly interested in it, but we'll share it. Why wouldn't we? Now, we know this upsets other law firms. We know. Why are you sharing this information? Well, supposing we didn't, then no one knows what's going on. And all you'll do is you'll generate a phone call, say, what's going on? What's the, one of the biggest bugfare of conveyancing lawyers? The phone never stops ringing. Why does the phone never stop ringing? The reason people call is because they don't know something or they want to find something out. So if you tell them that, you're going to stop your phone ringing. Will there be will there be things go wrong? Absolutely, 100%. Will you get situations where uh, you know there are problems caused by other parties, mortgage brokers, agents, whoever, yeah, clients? Absolutely, you will. Does that mean we shouldn't do anything about it? No. And, and people need to get this change of uh, uh, philosophy to say, what's the worst that could happen? Remember what we're trying to do. We're trying to protect ourselves, number one, as a firm against uh, against specious claims. We're trying to ensure that we do everything correctly in, the, in uh, following the law, making it accurate. And we're trying to deliver a service to consumers. And we can't sit there and say, oh, well, yeah, but because on the off chance something might go wrong, then we're not going to do that. You know, we're not going to share this information. It's the wrong approach. Fundamentally, it's the wrong approach. And that's the reason we've been able to grow is because we've taken that other approach. So all I can say to any law firm owner that says, oh, no, that's really bad. I say, well, look at us. We've done it. Got a brilliant claims record. OK, touch wood. Brilliant, brilliant claims record. OK, brilliant service ethos. We, we work with over 300 agents at any one time. OK, it works. Oh, and by the way, we charge a really good fee. <laughs> it works. So for goodness sake, you know, you've got to get on board and go, oh, OK. I just what what irritates me the most is why are more people copying us? Why don't they copy us? I'm sitting there going, 
We'll, we're happy to tell people what we do. We've got no secrets here. We don't outsource to Sri Lanka. We don't do some dodgy stuff where we just give people a bunch of documents and don't report on it. We do it all properly. Copy us. <laughs> they do say imitation is the greatest form of flattery, Peter. Well, I'm they? not feeling very flattered if that's what you're asking. <laughs> Listen, it's been fantastic to chat. Really interesting to kind of hear your thoughts, your opinions, and obviously sort of direction of travel for both uh, yourself and also your, your views on, on where the industry is going as well. Um, that's it for this podcast. My thanks to Peter for joining us. Thank you very much indeed, Peter. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Uh, you can download this on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on today's conveyancer. Thank you very much indeed for listening and see you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.